welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another podcast. Uh, I guess I always say good morning because it's morning for me. It's morning for all of my Instagrammers that are uh, listening in right now, too, which is cool. If you're an insomniac like me or if you're from Russia or Australia or any other foreign country that's east of us, then you're in the middle of your day and you get to... uh, reap the benefits of seeing a live feed from my uh, podcast when I can't get any sleep. And today is definitely one of those days. Slept like total dog crap this uh, tonight. And the reason is, is because I am like stressing out about the website. That's the truth. So I wanted to give a quick update. Um, I guess for any of you who are listening to this podcast, at a later day it's may 16th right now um and yeah the podcast or the uh, website's been a little bit of a disaster uh we originally did the live feed kind of giving you guys a look at some of the beta and then we tried to flip the dns over um previously my dns for all my websites was set up in europe which i did not know so it ended up taking longer um, for that DNS, for us to have control of that DNS again. And I guess if I'm not saying the internet uh, or coding lingo correctly, then that's because I know hardly anything about it. Um, but anyway, so that was the first problem. Then the next problem was um, some of the things were not working properly with the store. Um, and mainly had to do with uh, one of our shipping carriers, the rates that were preloaded in there. Um, again, we're working towards being able to ship international. Um, we're really wanting a lot more efficient system with the whole store side of things too. Um, so we had some issues with um, getting the credit card set up properly, getting you know PayPal stuff getting set up. We ended up having a issue with FedEx, went back to USPS, et cetera, et cetera. And then on top of all that, I actually haven't been able to physically navigate the main part of the website yet. Um, After we shared with you guys the feature that was kind of a later thought in our whole website process, the process um, of actually adding in a knock-on nation social media type location where you're going to be able to build your own profile and all that good stuff. It's really, really cool. Uh, The problem is it's taken a lot longer than what we had anticipated. So um, after about five days of not getting the DNS changed over, and then after another few days of the shipping rates and things not being totally correct, um, I did what I do for any type of product that I have hesitation on. I uh, put the pause button on it. So um, unfortunately, that's it's stressing me out because until I've until I'm able to load all the content on there and let you guys navigate at least my personal 
profile page so that you can see what that's like. Um, I just didn't want this whole thing to to go live, and there's been a few different occasions here where um, we are actually going to do a live feed, and I was going to flip this over and, and release it to you, but um, each time that gets close and I look at what's actually there, um, it's just, it's not what I want. And if it's not what I want, just like with any other product I have, whether it's our releases, whether it's the rest, whether it's t-shirt design, it doesn't matter. I'm the same person. Um, actually I just read an article from a really close friend of mine, a guy that was, um, kind of the pioneer getting me involved with hunting here in Iowa his name's Earl Taylor. Um, my good buddy Tim Collins knows Earl well, and uh, Earl was Earl was a camp director at a Christian youth camp here in Iowa that I helped start an archery uh, archery portion of the camp years ago. Um, and I would do some uh, some talks and stuff with the kids at that camp. And um, eventually, Earl invited me out to start hunting on his personal place. And uh, got to become good friends with Earl, and Earl just wrote a really, really nice uh, article for one of the magazines. I'm not sure which one it's for, but um, he actually sent it to me more or less to get my stamp of approval on it, um, just because it involved me. And he said some really, really kind words um, in there about me, and one of the things that he kind of poked at me a little bit was that I'm that I am pretty particular and I go through things with the fine tooth comb and I'm kind of anal about things I'm kind of anal about my tree stand selection where I put them how they're sitting on a tree what kind of noise they have all those sort of things that was how relative it was in the article but when it's in relation to this website the reality is until Sharon and I are actually able which we thought we were going to be able to before until we're able to actually go in the back end of that website and navigate through everything and me make sure that all the tabs and everything are in the the correct places that I really want them and what I've envisioned for the past nine months um, I just don't want to go live with this thing and and have my hopes the way I have my hopes for, and I haven't seen it that way yet. So we're still working towards uh, June launch. That is the truth. Um, but I don't want to flip the switch on a beta version that is just a frame. Um, I'm not going to do it that way. I want you guys to see some new content. I want you guys to be able to really get an idea of what you're going to pay for. Um, and... I just know what I want, what I expect as a consumer, and that's what I want to deliver as someone that's bringing a product to you guys out there and gals. So that's where we're at. I apologize. I'm owning up to it, and um, yeah, I'm losing a lot of sleep over it. I'm, I actually grew my hair out so I could see how many more grays. I'm going to get because of this website right now, uh, but definitely going to get some. So with that said, let's uh, get away from all the bull crap and get towards some good archery subjects. Um, I guess to say a few things, one, had a really, really cool time in uh, British Columbia. 
shot a giant, uh, a really, really nice black bear up there. Um, got great film. I got to enjoy um, Jim Miller's first uh, hunt out of the country. Uh, we were doing spot and stock black bears up with my buddy Nick Yarish at um, Chilcotin River Outfitters. Um, Nick used to guide um, where I hunted previously in BC. And um, with my good hunting buddies, uh, the Fillions and Bert kind of retiring from guiding, um, I just decided this year to kind of take to go to a new spot and we had a really good time. I'll share some of that with all of you out there. Um, my Instagrammers will probably see some of the first stuff for that. But uh, we had a really good hunt. I did several different um, uh, live podcasts, not live pod- podcasts, but video podcasts. And um, I'm going to load those to the YouTube channel. Originally, I was hoping the website would have been done. I was going to drop those on right away so that you guys could could kind of get a feel for what would happen. Um, the way that the way I envision the whole new site working is as soon as I come back from these. Um, from these hunts, um, for example, you know, I'll be doing a hunt with some really close friends, some friends. I think all of you out there will be really excited, uh, about, I'm going to be doing some hunts with them here coming up and, uh, you know, I'll definitely do some videos and stuff and some, some video podcasts from there. So I really envision being able to come back, drop those right into the website. So the members will immediately get to see something from that hunt that no one else has seen yet. Um, But I've got a few different uh, uh, video podcasts that I filmed uh, with my phone, kind of in the moment. We're actually driving on most of them. Uh, One of them was Jim Miller's podcast, um, The Hands-On Podcast, a.k.a. The Handsome Podcast, I call it, because I couldn't read how they spelled it the very first time I saw it. So I thought it was called The Handsome Podcast. But anyway... Um, we used my phone. I wanted to video the Jim's podcast when we were in the vehicle. It ended up being over two and two hours and 20 minutes, I think. And, uh, it was a good time, but he was recording with, um, a portable zoom mic, uh, you know, a zoom mic that you can kind of set down. We set it between our seats and Jim told me that, because he, I don't know why he gets real soft spoken when he's on a podcast. He like starts to talk really quiet. But anyway, uh, when he was talking quiet, it did not. Uh, evidently, he told me it did not sound good with the noise of the the tires on the road. And we were driving through some unbelievable British Columbia um, country, so we had about a ten hour drive. We flew into Vancouver and drove up together because I had never seen that country before. And, uh, yeah, so I'm going to load those on the YouTube channel just so that um, kind of as a, I guess, a little pacifier for the website not being done. Uh, I'll load those on here later today, and you guys can kind of check out some driving around talk. I did a – I actually did a podcast for Knock On specific – uh, for the golden platinum members that would be coming. So, uh, I'll probably just drop that out there for everybody right now. So you could see how that would be 
Again, you know, my plan is to be able to do these things on the fly in random places and drop them right in. And these would be things that you guys would have access to first, uh, you know, long before they ever kind of get out onto the YouTube channel and things like that. Um, so yeah, I'll do that. And then I did another video podcast with uh, my good buddy Dusty, uh, who is a guide up there and who had some really good uh, topics for first-time hunters that are going on a guided hunt for their first time and common mistakes that people make and all that good stuff. So first question here is um, a pretty cool Instagrammer doing stuff with Dino. Uh, that's his that's his handle and he pretty much kept it straight to the point for what he wanted me to talk about. Hashtag FOBs, FOBs. So FOBs are um, FOBs are this small plastic ring that go on the back of the arrow shaft, right in front of uh, you know, right in front of the knock. It pretty much replaces um, it replaces your fletching, so to speak. Um, there's these ones are more or less a ring with, um, I'm trying to pull up some images here so I can show, yeah, there they are right there. So, um, I'm trying to show my Instagrammer. So that's what a fob is right there. If you guys can see it, that's what it is. Uh, it goes on the back of an arrow shaft, uh, pretty much looks like, sorry, I don't know how to, I don't know how to, uh, make this a little darker for those watching, but anyway, you guys can Google fobs. They go on the back of the arrow. It's almost like a round disc. It looks like a hamster wheel. Let's just put it like that. It looks like a hamster wheel. Some people swear by them. Um, I've had them sent to me numerous times. And I have not... I, I won't say that they don't work. Because for certain setups, they do work. But... I will say for me personally, they don't work the way they're claimed um, all the time. So, uh, you know, I'm just kind of looking here. I don't know if um, they pretty much say it's like an airplane wing. Um, the faster the, the arrow flies, uh, the greater the force on the ring. Um, the ring wing applies this force equally at all points around the wing producing enormous stabilization forces without increasing drag. Um, every arrow flies exactly the same. See, that's where I have a problem. Um, I don't like speaking in absolutes because a lot of times absolutes are setting you up to be a liar. So uh, that's one thing that I actually learned from Matt McPherson, he was very adamant about not speaking in absolutes because especially when it comes to things that involve science and physics and engineering, there's a lot of factors that go into how an arrow flies. Um, it also says because the ring is only a half inch long, it is virtually unaffected by crosswind drift. Part of that's true, um, lengthwise yes, but heightwise it's a little bit taller than some veins. Um, but I will say it definitely. Um, let's see. It also says because fobs does not 
does not deform in flight, meaning like some veins may wrinkle and lay over in flight. Um, because of that, um, it says uh, s- speed robbing, chatter, or wobble is eliminated. So some some veins, if they're really soft, they do chime and they will flutter if some veins are soft. Um, however, what I can tell you is with my experience with the fobs, they're noisy. It sounds, I mean, you can imagine taking a hamster wheel and hanging it out your window of your car driving down the road or putting it on your car antenna, that sucker's going to whistle. And they definitely made noise, I can tell you that. Um, And I didn't have, with a combination of broadheads, I did not have good success with them. Now keep in mind I've shot with people that like them and who have had good success with them. Uh, Personally... I'm not if if you're on the fence, I would say stick to a traditional fletch and you're going to be happy. But just like with any product out there and just like what I said a minute ago, I don't want to speak in absolutes. So I'm not going to say they absolutely aren't good because for you and your setup, maybe they are. Um, for me and my setup and based on my experience with them and a lot of testing that I've done with them twice, I think two times, maybe three, um, each time they weren't something that I've, you know, that I would take out. A lot of times there's cool stuff that comes out that I just use because I want to use it. I don't ask the company for anything. Um, sometimes even if people want to sponsor me for something, there's no way I'd let them sponsor me. Um, there's just certain things that I think are cool and that I really like. Um, I shot nocturnals for a long time because, uh, I just liked them better than, than other lighted knocks out there. Um, I wasn't getting paid by them and I wasn't representing them. I shot them because I liked them. Um, Hey, the Rattler Grips, Rob's Rattler Grips, um, I shoot those things because I like them, and I think they're really well made, and uh, I just enjoy them. So a lot of the stuff that I'm using that are smaller names, they're just products that I stumble across that I really like and I have good luck with. And uh, actually, there's some really cool, um, there's some cool news coming, so I... um, they're not going to be available yet. The first ones they'll be a limited. Um, they'll 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 be a limited amount. But uh, I took um, I took a couple elk that I had personally shot um, that were bulls that you know weren't trophy size bulls, so to speak. Um, but they were bulls that I shot that all of you have watched on episodes and that kind of have cool stories memories that I certainly remember and uh, I actually sent those to Rob and we made a limited run of knock-on grips out of my personal elk antlers that I am gonna as soon as they're done I'm gonna have on the website or I may offer first to my platinum members um, and it could be really cool. They're super awesome. I actually hunted with them um, on my my bow this past week. Really, really liked them. I'll give you uh, I'll give you Instagrammers a first look. 
at what they look like. There they are right there, everybody. Those are, um, those are my personal elk horns, and they've got the knock-on logo um, on one side, then they have the knock-on text on the other, and it's actually a black inlay inside of the logo, so it's pretty cool. Uh, they're really nice, and they're going to be limited to Hoyt shooters. Sorry. I don't, I don't like to pick sides, but when it comes to uh, grips, I have to pick sides. So, um, And then one of the Instagrammers brought up a pretty good point, too, with the fobs. Um, sometimes, depending on your broadhead, it limits pass-throughs, too. It actually has to rip your knockoff um, in order for that arrow to pass through properly. Um, because, obviously, you've got a hard plastic ring... And it's got to pass through, um, depending, you know, if you're shooting a, like for me, I'm shooting a two blade rage tripan that cut, um, you know, it, if you're not shooting a super massive big hole, or if you barely break through one little rib and you dead center rib and go through it, don't expect a plastic ring. That's, you know, an inch or, or more in diameter to pass through that. So it's kind of another downside too. So let's see. Um, let's see. <laughs> yeah, um, someone on the Instagram just said maybe Rage will come out with a a Rage that'll actually cut a hole through. Um, and and honestly, Instagrammers, if you're squeamish, turn your head right now. I'm gonna show my I'm gonna show my live people right now what this new this is what the new tripan did. I don't know if you can see that. It's hard to see, but there you go. You can kind of see it there. The new Rage tripan cut a five and one quarter inch hole going in, um, and I'll show you guys. So that's actually dusty looking through um after we after we caped my bear and salted the hide and everything and we were actually grilling some back straps and uh that was you know that was uh pretty impressive very impressive that hunt my bear hunt is actually going to be the first episode for the knock on the new website um, so I'll be able to, you guys will all be able to see that hunt if you're into hunting. If you're not into hunting, then don't click on the hunting tab. That's the other nice thing about it. You can choose to not watch it. Um, let's see. So that was first question. Let's get into the next question here. Um, please give us your opinion on the new precision peep. Um, so the new precision peep is is a small little peep that has a post in the center of it. Um, this post in the center is is kind of like, um, it kind of resembles um, the post that sticks up on um, a rifle or something like that. Um, I'm just showing the people here on Instagram what it looks like. It's got a little post inside of it. So the idea and the concept is that you actually put your pin right on the top edge of that post. And that way you know you're centering your pin left and right and you're centering your pin up and down. The idea and the concept is good. When I first saw this, I actually um, 
I sent a text to Joe Rogan, and I'm like, check this out, dude. And I was, this was one of the things I was excited to get to at the ATA show. I wanted to, I actually emailed him and never got a reply. And so I went to the ATA show. This was one of the first things I went to to get. And I got a couple packs of them. Then I got home, and I'm sorry, Precision P people. I'm telling the truth. Don't get upset with me. But, the concept is awesome, and in the package it's awesome because in the package you've got a little pin sitting on the top of that. We all understand it. It's awesome. Exactly. It's like a military rifle. The problem is with the archery peep, when it's this close to your eyeball, you can't focus on the post. <laughs> the thing needs to be further from your eye in order to be able for your eye to even focus our eyeballs don't have micro uh, focus, so everyone at home, put your finger about two inches off your face and tell me if you can possibly get that finger in focus. No, you can't. So I actually brought this up to them, and they said, well, what they do is they kind of pull back and hold the peep a little bit further from their eye till they can get a focus on it, and then they kind of come into their anchor so that they center everything not part of my shot routine so um that's unfortunately this was a product i was i like the concept of especially for single pin shooters um, people that were you know shooting a single pin site this would have been a very very good idea but unless you're able to focus your eyeball at two inches on something you're not going to be able to actually you know, on a rifle, those two things are a lot closer together and they're further in front of you so that you can actually, you know, use them the correct way. But when this is that close to your eye and your pin is that much further in front of it, um, you're just not able to focus on both the same. So unfortunately, um, I'm not shooting that. And if I had a single pin sight, I wouldn't shoot it either. Um, again, sorry, precision pe people. Um, I don't like, I'm giving my honest feedback to my followers. So hopefully you appreciate it and you're more than welcome to always send me a message if I'm wrong about this, but, um, I don't think my eyeballs are wrong. Or if you come up with another idea, then send it to me. Um, but the claim as a better lineup tool, technically it does line up better. That is cool, but you just can't see it. It's out of focus. Um, let's see. The next question here is this. Oh, and that last question was from Travis Glassman. Uh, this next question is from Rob8213. And it is, um, is it always necessary to have your nose as an anchor point? Um even with the short axle to axle like a Hoyt Powermax, I shot better before I adjusted everything um, to force my nose to the string. So a couple things here. One is Rob8213, if you had a new membership to the new website, if it ever gets going, you would have a profile page and I'd be able to stalk you Right now, I stalked you on Instagram, and guess what? You don't have any decent pictures of you shooting to where I can tell you what you're doing. 
Um, you certainly want the string on the front of your nose. You're definitely able uh, to do that with. Um, you're able to do that with uh, a bow like the Power Max. Um, just so you know, I'm I'm actually a 31 inch draw, um, and I'm just looking here, uh, trying to find it. I'm a 31 inch draw. I was hoping I could find these pictures quick to show the people watching, but I've got uh, a Hoyt charger, which is essentially the same as the Power Max, um, and I shot it really, really well. I I didn't have any problem with it. Um, the main thing is you might need to extend your loop a little bit um, on shorter axle to axle bows the string angle may come slightly behind the corner of your mouth in order for the for that peep to sit at the front of your nose but just like with that peep sight having the string on the front of your nose is really really important um, you definitely want to have the string at the tip of your nose because essentially if you are if you have proper form with your anchor position you've really got four reference points. So when you anchor your bow, you've got your anchor, how, how your finger feels under your jaw or how your hand feels on the side of your face is the first. Um, I can just feel the string at the corner of my mouth. Then as I adjust my head to where I'm acquiring my peep properly, the string is at the tip of my nose. If I know the string is at the side of my nose, then what that means is I've bent you know, a lot of times you can compress your front shoulder, you can bend your front arm, and when you do that, your anchor will come back as well, and that string, instead of being on the front of your nose, all of a sudden slides to the side of your nose. Um, so your nose is actually a really, really important reference point. Um, it's one that you, you know, it's one that you really want to always... Uh, you always want that right, and you know I've I've got uh, I've got pictures shooting, just kind of going through some photos here um, on my personal computer that I'll show some of the followers um, right here. I'll show you all looking, but if you guys can see that right there, um, that's me shooting a Power Max, and. It is pretty much right on the money for um, where that fits. Now, what I will say is um, I did have to make the string just a little bit longer. So the, the string stops um, instead of right at the corner of my mouth. It actually stops about an inch behind the corner of my mouth. But I shortened my loop a little bit so that my actual anchor position is the same. Um, but the string is further back, the loop is shorter, the overall fit is the same. Um, no different than with my target bows, if I shoot a bow that's really long axle to axle, because that string angle is so wide, I'll have that, that stop like right at or sometimes even just before the corner of my mouth. And I'll shoot a longer D-loop so that I can get my anchor point back without having uh, the clearance or the any clearance issues on my face. Uh, so hopefully you put that to use. Um, I'll actually, I'm going to post this picture. Um, I'll post this picture on my Instagram page. 
um, and allow you to see what how this bow fits me. And this is a bow that is short axle to axle. And again, I'm six foot five. So you can see how this fit looks and then maybe you can compare it to what you're doing. So appreciate it, Rob. 8213niner. Um, okay, so the next question here is from Gman42301. Um, I feel like I'm in the first Transformer movie here with the uh, Witwicky eBay account. Uh, but anyway, uh, you're asking about some good ways to overcome target panic. So really one of the best ways, um, you know, it's, it's target panic, depending on what kind you have, there's different variations. Um, really the, the number one way I can tell you to get over it is for you to a hundred percent identify with it and a hundred percent realize that it's not going to happen overnight. Um, there's nothing anybody is ever going to do in one class or you to be able to go out on the range one or two times and fix target panic. Um, I can tell you for me personally, mine, and I was totally committed to it, um, took me almost six to nine months to really get to the point where I felt like I had eliminated some of the frights and fears and anticipation that I felt um, when my pin was sitting on the spot that I really wanted it to go to. Uh, if you feel like you, just because I give you a release, I teach you how to make a good shot, just because you do that one time doesn't mean you're doing that all the time. Um, I'm going to throw Jim Miller under the bus right now, uh, and only because he admitted to it on his podcast. Um, I'd probably throw him under the bus anyway for this, just because um, I know he can take it. And if he really didn't like it, he'd just beat my ass, and I'd still probably hug him after. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, Jim's been working with new releases as well. And, um, you know, I think. I think with some people it takes a lot longer and they they get to where they're making good shots at home and they're making good shots when they're practicing by themselves but then and they commit to like say a silverback or a hinge release or the, or things like that but then all of a sudden they get around their friends and some of that stuff starts to fall out the window for example you know he was shooting a knock to it release um, you know we were there was a couple things. We were at camp. We're shooting at a really small target. Um, instead of shooting, and I can understand wanting to make sure your pins are where you need them to be for shooting some of the longer distances and warm up. But at camp, we only had a little like it was a small little bag target that was like ten inches square. And honestly, for someone that is struggling with that, that's the smaller of the target you aim at, the more likely a lot of those things are to come out. And so Jim did a lot of shooting at like 30 and 40 yards, which wasn't, as a coach, wouldn't have been my preference just because, you know, you focus a lot more on aiming. I actually videoed Jim on some shots. There were certainly some shots that uh, weren't very good. Um, he did make a few good shots, but some weren't good. And then what happened was when he actually went out 
Jim had the first night that we were there, we were actually going around just to do a little scouting. But uh, Jim had an awesome stock with a really big bear. And the bear, <clears throat> I don't know if it didn't, I don't think it knew what he was, but it heard something. So the bear actually came to him. And just with all that happening, Jim got pretty worked up and he told me that he absolutely just punched the trigger and he clean missed this thing at 30 yards i mean it's this thing was probably a 400 pound bear and he completely whiffed it uh the arrow went skipping down the down the grass or whatever and the bear kind of heard that more so than the bow going off and actually um ran a little bit closer towards him and jumped on a um, kind of a, as a reaction to get away, jumped like kind of jumped up against a tree and had his claws on it. And it was kind of looking back to where that arrow went. And Jim had another shot 30 yards and missed again. And he just told me that literally everything he knew went out the window and he said he did not even remember what the heck happened um he just said all i know is i just pulled back and just punched the trigger so target panel like target panic like that honestly this is why and jim and i got on this conversation which you'll be able to watch on the youtube version of this video podcast that i'm talking to you guys about because we actually related this specifically to um when jim and i were traveling to bc together we got on the subject of you know how important it was for MMA people to continually go through the motions of the basics. And we talked about how the majority of the UFC and MMA fights have been won with a very limited number of submissions that are really pinnacle basic submission type moves. And um, you know, because of that. You have to continually, even though you feel like you know how to do an armbar or a triangle or a kimura, you have to continually practice that at a point to where when you're in the moment, like Jim isn't, he said those things just all of a sudden you see them and you're able to do them super crisp and clean as a reaction, not as a thought. And that's what happens when you don't focus on really understanding and knowing that you have target panic and committing 100% of your time and effort into making sure that your total focus is making shots that are not anticipated, whether that's blank bail shooting, whether that's keeping big targets up close, learn, you know, totally committing to attention activated release, totally committed to a hinge release, totally committed to, you know, honestly, you know, if you're shooting a thumb trigger release, um, you know, just really learning how to bring that thumb to the back of the release and without ever moving the thumb, get that release to fire just by pulling through the release. Um, that's really, really critical. It's, you know, I can't say enough about you just have to get your mindset around commitment to one product honestly when it comes to archery um security and um i guess confidence in your shot it comes from really knowing 
perfectly how your release works. I know there's another question that I saved relating to hand position with your release aid and how to shoot a release aid um, by relaxing your hand a little bit. Um, and I can tell you that the one thing you're going to get by not messing with your equipment, not messing with your release, literally just saying, you know what, this is all I'm going to use and and know that it could take six months to nine months to really ingrain that to where you're able to 100% do it the right way. Um, you know, you really you have to commit to it. And you also have to know that if you go to an if you go to a camp and all your buddies are out there bombing shots at 100 yards, if you know that there's even a fraction of a possibility that you're going to make a shitty shot because that's what everyone's doing, don't partake in it, man. Don't do it. If you go to an archery club and everybody's shooting uh, floating ping pong balls out of, you know, a lot of people put a ping pong ball above a shop vac and it's sitting there bouncing up and down in the air. Hey, listen, I've done it. I've gone there. I've done it. And guess what? When I did it, I shot a wrist strap release and I punched the hell out of triggers. That's when I did it. There's no way with the ping pong ball bouncing up and down, I'm going to execute a good shot. And so when people are there and everyone's having fun and they're sitting there doing that, I'm just going to be the boring jerk and go over and just sit there and focus on shooting my spots and shooting my dots because the reality is, although that is fun, all that little stuff starts to, some, it's, you know, it's no different than an alcoholic. Honestly, when they get off, it takes one little drink for you to get back and you're doing it again or sometimes you know one 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 cigarette that you bum from somebody and you're back at it again um we've all been there dude the thing is you just if you really want to get over it you have to say and i know um my hat's off i've i do a lot of um trolling for hashtags and there's a tremendous amount of people out there that um are posting some amazing pictures with um, silverbacks and people that I know looking back through their feeds were struggling before and they're and people the people that have the right mentality and they're saying you know baby steps um, you know it, I'm not shooting perfect groups all the time but had a good night tonight with my silverback those little steps are are leaps and bounds believe me they may seem little but those are massive massive steps and you really, really want to make sure you just 100% commit to that because if you do, um, man, you're going to be so much further ahead in the long run. Um, next question here is from Cody Morris. He's axing. He's asking about the standard nocturnal knocks um, inside of a ACC. So, yeah, you can um, certain. Certain ACCs, now he's asking specifically about a 371. For that, I don't know. But um, for me, what I did last year, um, I was shooting an ACC 360 arrow. And normally, this has a um, unibushing with a G-knock. Um, what I found, and this is true uh, quite a bit. So what I found, and I know there's some changes being made now that are that are pretty cool, but... 
Um, what I had found was that the really small uh, lighted knocks, all of them out on the market, because they have to have um, a battery and a light inside of that knock, the really, really small ones, they get to the point where they, they have some flex on them. And when you have a knock that has a lot of flex up and down and it's bendy, um, that flex is going to give you variations in your accuracy. So, um, and this was, you know, I know that like, for example, Nocturnals made some changes um, and I haven't tried the new ones, but last year what I did was I actually just removed the unibushing out of the back of my 360 and I took a S knock. So this is an S knock, the same as what you'd put in an aluminum arrow. And I took that S knock and I, I just slightly sanded around the knock just a little bit. And then I put some string wax on there and it fit exactly inside of that ACC 360. Now the 371, I'm not particularly sure right now, but with this 360, it did work and I did like it a lot. Um, so for the 371, if you do have a knock that does fit in the 371 without the unibushing, then don't be afraid to do it as long as the tolerance is right and the tolerance is in there. Um, what I will say is a lot of times when you heat up that um, unibushing and remove it out of the back of the arrow, um, there's going to be a little residue of epoxy, which would have been at the front edge of that unibushing, um, that'll prevent you from being able to get a knock to feed in there without having to kind of drill that thing out or ream it out. So if you haven't fletched your arrows yet and you know that's something that you want to do and you can test it on the point end of the arrow, you can put your knock in there and make sure it works. I'm not sure which knock you're talking about specifically, but um, what I would recommend if that's what you want to do, um, just so that your, your integrity of your arrow is good too and you're not heating up that carbon too much to remove that factory unibushing, just go ahead and set your saw to where you can cut off about a half inch of that, um, of that arrow off the back. Um, just make sure you, know, you can slide a point in the front of your arrow temporarily and set up your jig to where you can just buzz about half of an inch off that. So you're literally cutting off the back the back unibushing um, instead of trying to heat up the back edge of the shaft and pull it out. Just cut that off right in front of the bushing and then you'll have a perfectly clean tube uh, to insert your knocks and do your fletching and all that jazz. So um, yeah, hopefully that helps you out, Cody Morris 3. Uh, let's see, Matthew Walters is saying, uh, do you know if the Deep 6 XD arrows are the same as the Axis but with different inserts? So the Deep 6, um, and actually Easton, the best thing is uh, for you, Matthew, Easton has a video on their website um, that you can watch quick. It's got, uh, it, you know, they've, they've brought out their videos for, for that new shaft. Um, if you just type in... Uh, Deep Six H uh, XD, it'll show you pretty much what it is. But yeah, I do believe it's just literally like an RPS style insert that's stainless steel that is necked down to fit a deep sea, uh, deep sea, a Dick's deep, <laughs> Jesus, a deep six um, stainless steel insert. Um, 
which is six thirty second. So it's a, a ve- it's a very small thread, which is originally what they had to do in order to go in the injections. But because some people bought a lot of the deep six um, broadheads and they like those particular broadheads that they have, or they have some left over. Um, Easton is putting that bushing so that you can shoot some of your, um, you know, shoot a larger diameter shaft, uh, if you want to. So it's pretty good. Um, it's a five millimeter, by the way, um, is what it is. So it's a five millimeter, uh, shaft. So, and yeah, it is pretty much classifying that insert as an RPS, uh, steel insert. So, uh, but yeah, overall, I'm going to talk about an axis arrow. I use an axis arrow on my um, latest hunt. Like them a lot. Uh, not, I didn't use the XD, but I did use an axis. Uh, let's see here. Um, uh, let's see. It's DWA Hutch uh, is asking, am I okay to shoot heavier spined arrows than what the charts call for? The charts say I should be shooting at Easton. 400 spine, but I would like to go to a heavier 330 spine for more punch. Um, okay, so a couple things there. One, um, I found that it's always better to be on the stiffer side than the weaker side when it comes to the spine chart. Um, however, in saying that, I can tell you that you know necessarily having that spine isn't really going to give you the punch. Having weight um in your arrow is what's going to give you that punch. So um, if that's what, you know, don't feel like you want to go to a 330 just in order to get a couple extra grains per inch. What you'd be really uh, benefiting from is because it's telling you you need a 400, you're actually the perfect candidate to go to that 330 spine, but then get the 50 grain brass insert that 50 grains of brass in the front is going to give you the extra weight that you need and it's going to break that spine down to where you're actually going to be right in your green zone as well. So, you know, if you're looking for extra weight, pick a shaft that has extra weight. For example, you know, um, I just built some dangerous game shafts, um, which the dangerous game, you can get them in a 300 spine. An Easton Axis you can get in a 300 spine. The dangerous games are much heavier per inch. So you want to make sure, you know, don't just go with an arrow just because you say you want to have more punch behind it. Um, You definitely want to have the proper spine if possible. Uh, But with what you're telling me right now, you're a perfect candidate to buy that 330 spine and get 50 grain brass inserts for that. Um, and you're going to, you're going to have a really good setup that you like a lot. Um, let's see here. Uh, Uh, so, um, Zachary Ostenzo is asking the best arrows for a Hoyt charger. I'm looking to upgrade my arrows. So I'm just going to use that right now and kind of go into the arrow that I was shooting. Um, this last hunt was in a six millimeter carbon axis and this is pretty cool they're um, a brand new um, under armor uh, put their ridge reaper pattern on this for eastern or i guess eastern 
put Under Armour's pattern on it, whatever. But um, it's a six millimeter axis, which is really cool because it allows you to put a standard insert in the front instead of um, instead of putting a hit system in. I really like a standard insert. Um, I like it because I can use hot melt. I can take them out if I ever need to just by heating up the end of my field point and it'll warm that hot melt up enough to come out. Um, if you if you don't trust hot melt, then you could certainly um, you could certainly uh, you know use epoxy if you want, but you don't have to worry about the actual hit type thing. Um, if they if they end me for all of you Instagrammers, if they end me, I'll come back on. I'll I'll log back on live because I know they limit me to an hour. Um, but uh, this is a really cool shaft. It's an axis shaft, so it's an all carbon arrow. It's got really good straightness. This thing spins like, I mean, that is perfect. I can hear it. I can actually tell by the sound when when I'm spinning arrows through my fingers. I can tell by the sound too how straight they are. Yeah, that's sweet. That is a good arrow. So that's a great arrow. Price-wise, they're going to be um, in a good price range too, cheaper than like an ACC type product. Uh, and you're going to, yeah, you're going to enjoy that. Uh, so check those out. There's, it's called the Easton um, six millimeter carbon axis. It's a good arrow, good price range. Be, and, you know, for those of you who um, buy a budget bow, or you're buying a bow on on a you know in a I guess a budget price range, you know one thing you don't want to cut corners on is your arrow selection. If you just go and buy the arrows at Walmart, those arrows are like culled out of all the arrows at the factories. Those are all the like three to five thousandths wobbly ones. Um, so invest in some arrows that are that have a good straightness two thousandths or better is my recommendation um, i'm certain these are so good consistent arrows can make up for it for an inconsistent um or i shouldn't even call it an inconsistent bow because i actually shot that charger i really liked it um i shot a great buck with it and I liked that bow. Again, I showed you that. I showed some people the picture of that earlier. Um, I enjoyed shooting that bow. Uh, but having a good quality arrow is is really really important. It'll make a big difference. Um, if you're, you know, really, it'll make a huge difference on anything. Um, let's see. The next question here is from uh, Kyle Ridge Skullworks. Um, he's saying any tips on judging yardage, and if you're not sure of the yardage you just hold for the 10. Absolutely. If I don't, if I'm not a hundred percent confident in my yardage, there's no freaking doubt I'm holding center 10. Um, I'm not that, I'm not much of a gambler. So, um, the, some of these shots of the week, I'm going to leave this, I'm going to leave this question open a little bit because once we do go live with the website and you guys are able to see it, we're going to put one of the shots of the week on there, just one, so that you guys can understand what you're going to be able to see. And uh, the shots of the week are really cool because it's either me at a 3D course, me, um, me at a field range, or me in a hunting type situation that we've set up based on former former hunts that I've done. 
And I literally approach the target and walk you through every little voice that's going on in my head. Um, I think the first one that we're going to post is actually um, a 3D one and uh, talk a lot about judging. Uh, But the plan is each month um, there'll be four shots of the week. Uh, One will be geared around uh, target archery. One will be geared around 3D. One will be geared around a hunting scenario. And one will be geared around uh, field archery. So it should be pretty cool. Um, my Instagrammers, my time's ticking. I'm down to one minute, so I've got to shut you guys down, but I'll, I'll come right back to you guys in a second here. So thanks for tuning in. I'll be right back. Um, yeah. So while we, um, while we end that live feed with them, I'll jump into a question that, uh, only you listeners can hear. It's actually not even a question. It was right underneath um Zachary's question it was from the Brad of all Brads and he pretty much is just saying damn it I missed the bus on getting to post a question to you because he was at the gym it's good leprechauns have to work out and Brad is pretty much a leprechaun a lot of people don't know that but he was in a movie years ago with Jennifer Aniston it's called the leprechaun And then he came back years after and he did a follow-up movie called um, Leprechaun in the Hood. He got to do that with Ice-T, which was another sweet movie that Brad did. It was really good. Um, So, yeah, that's... Sorry, Brad, you missed out, but you did, dude. I hate hate throwing you under the bus, but that's, that's what we're... That's what we're going to do right now. So um, the next question here is from the Newbie Hunter. And Newbie Hunter, it's pretty cool. You actually made a logo for your Instagram page. So that's pretty cool. Um, I had, I'm going to admit to something. I'm not super proud of it, but it's the truth. It kind of just pissed me off. So um, when I posted uh, a thing on Instagram, uh last let's see when was it it was i think it was a day or two after i had talked about the website being launched i was really excited about it and some some troll just went on there and said you know oh memberships let me guess you're gonna have you're gonna have uh said something like let me guess you're gonna have going to show us how to tie D loop, going to show us how to tie knocking points, show us how to tie peep site. And he's like, yippee. And he said, hopefully I'm wrong and you actually surprise me. So I, uh, there's my alarm. That, that alarm that just went off is because I'm supposed to be farming right now. I'm supposed to be fertilizing. We're putting corn in, so I have to get anhydrous out. Um, but yeah, so my surprise to that guy was... I actually blocked him, deleted him, because the reality is, one, I don't, I don't uh, waste time with, with negativity, and two, the reason is, is because there's a lot of people like you, the newbie bow hunter, um, that I want to be able to do that. And when you guys ask me simple questions, I want to be able to do that. It's easy for me to get ahead of. Um, some people's skill level 
and talk about things that are very in depth and it won't make it fun for you. Um, you know, it's no different than when my website people start talking to me about, you know, DNS servers and codes and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm getting lost. Like bring it down to the meat and potato level for me. And I want to stay engaged in that conversation. And a big part of what I do, it's getting new people into archery. Um, I like new people coming into archery. I like growing the sport. Um, I think that just like with any other sport, um, although coaches don't like to have to tell someone um, every single year how to hit a baseball off a t-ball post, we do it because that's how you get people started. And um, yeah, there's going to definitely be some beginner type areas within the website, but there'll also be some higher end level stuff too. Um, and then we'll be able to, you know, we'll be able to ask people what they want to see. And then on some of this, the majority is going to win. But um, yeah, the, the truth is people like you that are obviously excited to be a newbie hunter, making a cool logo for your Instagram. Um, I don't want you to be I don't want you to feel like you're not able to come there and learn some of the basic stuff because I don't feel like I can do that enough. Um, and honestly, the more I do it, it's better practice for me too. So uh, your question here is how long should we blank bail um, with a silverback or if you don't have a silverback with a back tension or, or a hinge release? Um, honestly, I think... Anytime um, blank bail shooting is really good when you're when the weather's crap. Um, like for example, sometimes I see people that post pictures and they're they're trying to learn to just make good shots for the first time, and then they're saying it was really windy today, but I kind of got these three finally got a good group together. Honestly, those are the days where blank bailing, even inside or in your garage, those are the days where that stuff does more good for you than what you would really trying to focus on shooting outside and battling the elements and getting blown around and things like that. I don't think that I don't think you can ever um, eliminate blank bailing from your routine if you're really focused on it. Um, for example, Bailey Smith, um, congrats Bailey. She won the ASA this past weekend. Killed it. Um, Bailey, when she was here, I did a test with Bailey, um, which I do this with certain students, depending on kind of how I get a feel for, you know, we shoot during different times of the day. And I do that for very specific reasons. I'm trying to critique when my students are, are able to shoot better than others. For example, uh, my one buddy, let's call him Joe, he can shoot all night and all the way until dark. And and if it wasn't dark, he'd probably still shoot. Um, I personally really enjoy shooting in the morning. I get up in the morning and I can, I can just really enjoy the sunrise. I can enjoy, I mean, I really, really like that. So um, everyone's different. And Bailey um, was a little bit sluggish getting up in the mornings. Um, and we did some head-to-head -head matches, and if 
it were a tournament situation, she would have got stomped because mentally and physically she wasn't awake yet. So I talked to her about, um, you know, this is the perfect opportunity for you to get that silver back out and make your first 50 shots of the day just blank bail, totally focusing on stroke, totally focusing on timing, getting through your shot and you know, and that's essentially what she did, you know, and, and so, you know, her assignment is when she gets to the range, she literally gets to the range and starts, um, starts pulling through that release and, and focuses more on that than anything else. Um, and you know, it's really, really important that she does that because if she, if she didn't do that, then, negative things are going to happen. She's going to end up going out in her first round. She ends up getting she ends up getting beat because she hasn't woke up. So, I don't think you can ever blank bail enough. Um if that's all you're doing, um if that's all you're doing, then I think that once you feel like you're really able to make your shots within the same timing and you feel like you really have comfort within your release. You know, I talked a little bit about that earlier. I feel like people that really get to know their release and know exactly their pressure and exactly their timing and pulling through properly, people that do that, um, they just become so much more consistent and they have so much more control. And especially when you start to get into ranges that have a big variation in terrain, um, you'll really appreciate that control and your understanding of your release aid. So if you feel like you're getting bored, then it's time to, you know, put a target on the face, start out with a bigger target. Don't even have your sight on there. Sometimes just putting a target on the on the face and not even having to aim at it is that's kind of the next step. Um, and then once you're doing that, you can go back, you know, once you do that for a while and you feel really comfortable with it, you don't have any demons banging around in your head. Then you can switch to putting your sight on the bow, but keep the target big, stay close to where when you pull back, you kind of don't have any choice but to be in the gold. And then you'll slowly work yourself back. But again, avoid those little opportunities to, to really fall off the wagon. Opportunities like you know everyone at camp saying, okay, whoever shoots the dollar bill, at 100 yards wins it, you know, if you know that you're not going to be able to sit there and make a perfect freaking shot and be totally okay not winning the $100 bill or dollar bill, but making your good shot, that's when you've made steps in the right direction. You know, I don't, I never care if I hit the target. I just want to make, I'd rather make the freaking sweetest looking shot out of the six guys that are there shooting for that. Than, uh, than worry about being the guy that won it because, you know, the reality is I think me knowing that I'm making sweet shots, that's why I'm able to go out on those hunts, make a really good shot on, on you know, what I'm there for and not be the guy that comes back to camp saying, oh, my God, I'm out of arrows and never even hit the thing. So, um, which Jim didn't run out of arrows. I, that, I didn't mean that for him. But, uh, you know, that is the truth. Uh, let's see. So the next question here is from 337design. Shout out to 337. His name's Adam. 
Um, he's down in Australia, and he two of the new shirts that just came out on the website. Uh, by the way, um, the old website is still working, so you guys can certainly still go there. Um, but we just came out with a bunch of new shirts that are really, really awesome. Um, one of them, uh, we call the, even though it's spelled arc enemy, we call it arch enemy, um, which is a pinstripe design, pretty much a pirate crossbones, uh, and skull that Adam did for us. Um, I really want, I had envisioned something and told him to see what he could come up with and he did an awesome job on it. Um, and then he also did, um, our other one that I can't think what we called it. Maybe it was reflection. I don't know. I was out of the country. So Sharon's Sharon gets props for naming these last shirts, some pretty cool names. Um, but he's saying, what are you carrying in your pack on a multi-day spot and stalk hunt? Um, have you refined it over the years when it comes to food, knives, clothing, layers, etc.? So I'm actually going to be doing one of the field recon segments that's on the schedule right now is is actually showing you guys exactly what's in my pack on um, a situation where it's like a sleepover situation. Um, for those of you who like sleepovers. Um, but also um, one thing that I'm doing is being able to show you guys exactly um, how I pack my bow case because Honestly, I used to travel with way too much gear. Um, and that, you know, that changed. I was so used to traveling with two and three bows when I would fly international and be shooting at a world championship or something where I'd be there for um, five to seven days. And, um, you know, I'd worry about, you know, a bow not showing up. Or sometimes I'd travel with two cases in case luggage didn't make it or whatever. And, um, but then everything really changed. And I used to travel with a bow case and a big like Badlands Terraglide uh, rolling suitcase and then have my backpack and my camera gear. And it was, it was a lot. So all that changed once I went to Alaska and had to do a fly-in trip where they pretty much just said, your bag can be 50 pounds, that's it. Um, so I just really learned to pack properly, um, with that specific weight and it made a huge, huge difference in, uh, made a huge difference in how, really how efficient I was. So now I pretty much travel with my rolling bow case. I travel with, um, a, my hunting backpack on with my computer gear and stuff in it and toiletries optics, um, extra pair of boots, um, that I hang on there, etc. And then I have my camera bag, but when it comes to how I pack for food, um, for food, literally this, I just pulled this out of my backpack. This was my leftovers. Um, this is all I had leftovers. I'm showing people that are, that are watching right now on the, the live feed. But, uh, so the things that I really, really like, and I did this when I was in, in Alberta this year, um, I feel like I can live out of my backpack pretty easy um, if I need to, but I'm not a major big eater. And I think if I if I shoot something where I'm at, I'll always, I'll always eat like the um, tenderloins or something on a fire. But uh, On It makes these Tonka bars. 
Um, this is like a big bison bar, and they've got three flavors now, but this is a pretty big bar. Um, I actually have two of these a day. I eat one in the morning, one at night, and this one here is turkey and buffalo um, with cranberries, coffee, and hatch chili. Tell me that doesn't sound delish. Yeah, that's from On It, and you should be able to get. Um, you should be able to get. I rarely talk about this, but if you use promo code Knock On, you can get ten percent off On It products, or maybe more. I'm not even sure. Um, yeah, Aubrey hooked me up with that. Said, hey, if any of the Nation guys want discount, give them give them a Knock On code. But I never talk about it. Sorry, but you guys should do it. The other two things right here. The Onnit TPC packs, these babies are my favorites. One in the morning, one at night. They got a bunch of pills in there that are totally optimized. Um, I'm not just giving you a load of bull crap too. These are, well, you can see I had one day and night left. I took extra in case my plane got canceled. Um, and I actually have two night packs in there, which means I forgot twice to take my night timers. Which sucks because they actually have new moods in the nighttime version. So they help give me some, some cool dreams. Um, but I also always ta take um, a two to three packs of these um, Alpha Brains. These are awesome. They're in little sachets. Uh, I'm personally into the peach flavor. Some people really like the, um, the chai flavor. But uh, I, lit I drink three full bottles of water every day when I'm hunting. I always um, take at least three full bottles. Um, I like to drink one at noon. I'll drink one midday, and I'll drink one mid-afternoon. I always do that. That's as a minimum. Um, so I'll put one of those Alpha Brains in there. And it I really like that because later in the morning is kind of the time where you're, you know, I really think I really believe in these um, alpha brains in the morning, late morning, and early afternoon are two times where I'm definitely um, in potential for sleep mode and just not being on my toes. So those are really good. And then the last thing is um, they actually have these oat mega bars. These are awesome. I'm kind of stuck on one flavor. I'm all chocolate peanut butter crisp. That's the only flavor I have. So I literally have two of these bars, two Tonkas, and that's that's what I live off of. Three Alpha Brains a day and the TPC packs. I've actually um I learned this from a from my guide that guided my um my bear hunt in Alaska my uh, coastal bear, um, he told me that he actually has times where he tries to see how long he can fast um, just, just in case he ever gets low on food on a pack-in type trip. He wants to make sure he's not going to freak out. So, you know, I actually practice, um, and now there's some science coming out with it, but I practice um, some fasting. Um, for example, a lot of times I don't eat um, a meal till after like nine to 10 in the morning, which, you know, you can tell if I'm getting up this morning, I was out of bed at two. Um, it's, you know, it's five now, I guess, but yeah, I'm not even hungry. Um, I'm having my coffee and that's good. You know, I have some MCT oil in my coffee. So, I mean, I think my body kind of feeds off some of those fats. Um, but really that's all I pack. And 
Um, besides the bars, this Ziploc bag right here, this is like a regular size Ziploc bag, that'll cover all my TPC packs. And I actually feel like if it really came down to it, I think off based off the vitamins and um, kind of how good I feel on the TPC packs, I feel like, um, I honestly feel like I could hunt off uh, TPC packs and alpha brains and be pretty good. Um, I might supplement fireball in there, um, at, at dark. Actually, I know I supplement fireball at dark. Um, fireball definitely helps supplement things because sometimes you need, um, there's certain benefits to cinnamon that are scientifically proven. Cinnamon is a very cool spice. So that's really the main reason I drink fireball, um, in the evening is just for the cinnamon benefits, um, more so than alcoholic benefits. That's totally a lie, but I'll stick to it. But that's more or less what I have in my pack. Then obviously a good set of knives. When it comes to layering, um, it really depends on the temperature of your hunt, like what type of uh, layering you need, whether it's like I'm a big Under Armour guy. So whether it's either heat gear or cold gear, um, and those two will depend on how much you're moving. If you're moving a lot and it's hot, you're going to want heat gear. If you're moving a lot and it's colder, you're going to want the cold gear. Um, if you're not moving, then for sure you're going to want to get into the base, which is more of a thermal uh, type base. You're going to definitely want to be, um, and for like these hunts, I always travel with two types of bases. I travel with a two um, for this particular hunt because I knew I was in BC and it was actually, I think like, I think it was... It, I think it was like 20 degrees out in the morning. So, um, you know, the mornings were cool. And then it got to about mid-50s in the middle of the day. So I actually traveled with um, a base two and a base four. Um, so I'd start out the mornings with my base four on. Um, then I would just carry my base two in my backpack, switch over to base two in the afternoons. Um, and I was fine and uh, really liked it. It's also... Uh, then over the top of like my true base layers, um, you know, I'll put on the hex suit, which is just a pant and a top. It's just pretty much a thin layer. I talked about some of the benefits of, I really like um, the technology behind the hex products. Um, we've got some cool stuff coming to the Knock On Nation for that as well. But uh, then over the top, really, the main thing is if you're going on a pack-in trip, rain gear is always essential. Um, I always have rain gear no matter what. Packable rain gear is a benefit. Always have that in your pack. Um, always have, I like some uh, baby wipes and a roll of toilet paper and a Ziploc bag. Those are always in my backpack. Um, then I always take, um, I always have some extra arrows either in my vehicle or slid in the top of my um, my backpack. And then I have one of those Rage coffin cases. It's like a plastic case that fits an extra six Rage in there. And that way I've got extra broadheads on there. So, you know, if I, if I shoot something, want to have full quiver arrows in there, I can. But more or less, that's pretty much how I pack. Uh, keep it simple that way. But I'll do a video on that for you guys and gals. Um, but thanks Adam for everything you do for us, man. Appreciate you a lot. 
Uh, next question here is from Rick the bow hunter. Um, let's talk about ground blind placement, decoy placement for spring turkeys, um, um, and what we should be doing. What we should be should we be doing inside the blind other than taking naps? So inside of the blind, for me, that's normally when I answer a lot of my social media questions. Um, or if I'm able to have a friend in there, I'll chat. But uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the time where I get a lot of my stuff done. The one thing that like the redneck blinds and the bail blinds have done for me, it's given me the ability to actually get some work done. Um, those late season deer hunts, um, I've actually got... Uh, an iPad that I strapped to my thigh um, during my all-day sits during the November time. And then during the late season when I'm getting in my blind at, you know, 10 or 11 in the morning and uh, hunting all the way until dark, um, my computers are in there and one of those WeGo batteries so that I can uh, just really crunch on articles and all that good stuff so that's what i do in the blind but i guess when it comes to presentation um this year um i always put my decoys about 15 yards in front of my blind um i've just you know i keep them close the my dave smith decoys have like totally changed my turkey hunting um i know they're not cheap but they're not cheap for a reason um, they're not cheap because they work so freaking good. Um, I'm a big fan of really any combination that involves that bedded hen. Um, as long as your ground's not super wet or your grass isn't super tall, um, I always like to, to really develop in my turkey areas that I know I'm hunting, um, what I call like my strut zones. So I have certain clover plots that I leave and I, you know, they get eaten down really low by the deer. Um, then when they when they first start to come up in the spring, uh, they're nice and short clover. The birds really like to go out there and get their wing, their wings dry. If it's been raining or anything, they really like to strut around. And uh, that bedded hen has worked awesome with either the Jake or the strutter. Um, we killed turkeys over both of those decoys this year. Um, and honestly, I don't think you can go wrong. Actually, we 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 did really well with. A combination of three hens did well with a combination of a strutter and a bedded hen did com uh, did well with a jake and a bedded hen so all those were good i always put them right in front of me at like 15 yards um and work awesome uh other than that yeah you can you know you could always take um my buddy rob just made a really cool little um I forgot what the what he's calling the thing, but it's like uh, it's pretty much a little. It's a grip with a string attached to it to just work on shot execution. Um, it's a little device they did with one of my other buddies, Randy Peck, and we're actually working on a knock-on version of that too. Um, so that'll be coming in the future. But something like that is good. Just to you can sit in the blind and work on shot execution, pretend like you're blank bailing. Um, so yeah, hopefully that works. And um, let's see. Next question here is from, and I appreciate everything, Rick. I like your knock on beanie in your Facebook or in your profile. Um, next question here is from 45 
Mitch Alt 89. Uh, some of your, I don't, I don't know how you can remember some of these, um, these handles, but, uh, says, hi, John, can you talk about cuts when shooting uphill and downhill? And is there a formula for that? I've done my first field shoot recently in the UK and absolutely loved it. So yeah, field archery will totally change you um, as an archer. It's awesome. You learn, you certainly start bringing in different strengths into your stabilizer muscles. You'll start to develop your ability to hold, to hold uh, better just because of, uh, just because you're starting to shoot uphill, starting to shoot downhill, things like that. But Yes, there is a cut chart. I can't remember when I did it, but I did put it on one of my pages. I think I held it up in a live feed. But here's your cut chart. If any of you watched in the live feed, there you go. That's it. It's your degree of angle, up or down, and what percentage you need to cut depending on your degree of angle. I'll turn it this way. and You guys can screenshot it that way too. Then you've got it. This is something you met you memorize. So I'll for the listeners, I'll tell you this and you can write it down. So um, if you're listening, I'm gonna give you a minute to grab a pen and a paper. You can write this down. The other thing you're gonna want in addition to that chart to properly learn is this little guy right here. It's called a tilt gauge. So um it's or you can look it up. You can get them on Amazon. It's called Lev O Gauge. L E V O G A G E. Um, it's a tilt gauge for off roaders. Um, so this little thing pretty much is a level that has a ball inside the level, and when the top of your um, level is is perfectly horizontal, your ball will read zero as zero degree slope, but as you tilt it, as you tilt that up, it will give you a reading on your degree of angle. So what you can do, and what I used to do before I had a range finder that had uh, angle compensation, is I would take this level and I would mount it perfectly flat on my range finder. So I would make the top of that level gauge flush with the top of my rangefinder and what you'll do is you can take your rangefinder and you just tip it up to where it's pointing at the approximate angle of that target and look where your gauge is reading on your angle okay you can tilt it up and say holy cow it's a 45 degree slope from there you would be able to then look at your chart um, which I minimized this chart and I actually laminated this had it on the other side of my rangefinder so that I can learn this. I went out and I just started learning these cuts. So here's the cut chart. Um, okay, so for, and I'm not even gonna get into it. I mean, I guess I could, but a 10, a 10, um, a 10 degree angle, you're gonna cut, um, and your ups and your downs are slightly different. Your ups, you're going to cut um, a little bit less than what you do on your downhill shots. But So for a 10-degree angle up, you're going to cut 1% shooting up. Um, and you're going to, for, for a 10-degree angle, you're going to cut 2% for down. 
15 degree angle. Cut 3% for up, cut 5% for down. 20 degree angle, 5% for up, 7% down. 25 degree angle, 9% up, 11% down. 30 degree angle is 13% up, 16% down. 35 degree angle is 17% cut for ups, 19% for downs. 40 degree angle is 22% up. 25 down. I'm sure you guys can kind of see that there's about 2 to 3% difference. Um, not a lot. Pretty minimal. Uh, 45 degree up is 22% uh, up. 25% down for a 45 degree angle. 28% up. 31% down. 50 degree angle. 34% for up. 37% for down. 55 degree angle. 41% for up 44% for down then so that you know it's pretty much easy so in other words if you have an angle of a 25 degrees so you know 25 degrees we're looking at there we are we're about 25 degrees right there okay so on a 25 degree angle you know we're looking at 9% for up 11% for down. I would just put them in the middle. Honestly, number-wise, you could pretty much say it's a 10% cut, right? So all you have to do is look at what your distance is to that target, and then you're going to cut 10% of that. So if you had a 100-yard shot on just a 25-degree angle up or down, you're going to have to cut approximately 10 yards off that shot. Um so, you know, you look at, say, you look at if you had a downhill shot on a 35 degree, you're looking at 19%. So you're looking at, you know, having to cut 19 yards off that shot. So this is all relative math. Um, cool stuff you can learn with these little gadgets. Um, all this is crap that I've had to do a million times. And shooting field archery will check your oil, believe me, if you don't. Uh, if you don't know much about it, let's see. Um, Max Archer or MX Archer. I don't know if it's MX cause you're an MX motorbike rider or what, but MX Archer says, love my knock to it. Any tips, tips on relaxing the release hand? Um, sometimes I'm about to pull the limbs off my bow and it's because I have a death grip on the release. I'm working on relaxing, but it's hard when I'm in competition and the pressure's on. So curling your hand around the release is not a good thing to do. You want to keep that release down the middle row of your knuckles. You want to keep that hand flat. And when you keep it flat, it's going to allow you to take your thumb after you've drawn back and bring it to the back part of that trigger. And when you come to the back part of that trigger, you won't have to move your thumb to get it to fire because the texture on the knob itself will bite into your fingerprint. And as you pull, it's going to fire just from pulling. And, you know, you can, as you pull back, you don't have to move your thumb. It will fire. Putting the death grip on there does a lot of bad things. One, when you death grip your release, you start to make a fist. When you start to make a fist, your release position will be off your face you're not going to be able to look through your peep right so you'll end up shortening the front part of your 
your posture, you'll shorten the front so that that fist can come behind your jaw in order to get the string in the correct path. And uh, that's not good. You don't want it. You don't want that. You want to keep your hands straight. You want to keep that release down that middle row of knuckles. Again, you can draw back like with your thumb on your index finger. Keep that hand flat. Then you're going to be able to bring that thumb around to the back of that trigger and you'll be able to slightly pull and it'll fire without moving your finger. Um, really important. The other thing is don't relax too much. I just talked about Rick the bow hunter. Uh, yeah, Rick relaxed his hand too much and freaking let his release go and shot the back of his riser. And uh, you don't want to do that because... I know a couple people have done that, and it's not good. A projectile knock to it is not—it's <laughs> not a fun thing. Don't relax your hands so much to where you let your releases go. That's definitely not good. Um, let's see here. Um, uh, let's see. Big J Summers is saying, have people with big hands liked your knock to it release? Um, I have a cheap thumb trigger release that I shoot best with, but I hate drawing it back for fear of pre-firing. Um, with the size of my big hands and the way the neural knob sucks, uh, sticking out there, I bought a Carter Evolution and like that, it cured target panic, but find myself pulling off the target a lot. So, the hole on the knock to it is actually a little bit bigger than the hole on the um, evolution. So if you're fitting in an evolution, you're definitely going to like a knock to it a lot. Um, I would have left it up to some of the viewers um, or you know some of the people within that feed to answer that question for you. But um, yeah, I'm certain you're going to like it if you like the fit of the evolution, no question about it. Um, and again, with the Carter Evolution, this is something that we've just, once the website launches, I'll be getting into the live feeds a lot more and a lot have a lot more videos being loaded to where I can get into subjects like this. Um, I've done a few different uh, videos on learning to shoot the silverback release. Uh, big J Summers, I think that would be a big uh, benefit for you uh, to maybe just watch a few of those and see some of those things. Um, let's see. Um, so I've got one more question here that popped up and I saved it. Um, the newbie hunter asked another question, um, said that he's got an entry level bow practices three to five days a week, but he's getting really frustrated with his string creeping. Um, is the bow good enough, um, to progress with the archery or is he, just going to continually struggle with subpar equipment. So, like I said, the bow, there's certainly some uh, entry-level bows that could could be better. Uh, Mid-level bows, there's a lot of mid-level bows to where there's a few things you don't want to cut corners on. If you've got a factory string, and um, honestly, that's one company where I know that there's they're not the best when it comes for um, staying in place for very long. Having a string or a cable that continually stretches is a frustration. It's a problem and it sucks. Um, and it will change where you're hitting and it'll change things. So 
Um, you know, that's what's tough is, you know, sometimes you get into these entry level bows, but they also have a cheaper string on there. So by the time you get a good quality, um, custom string for 150 bucks or so, you almost could have got into a mid-level bow that actually had a better string on it to begin with. So it's tough, but yeah, a very good custom string or a, a decent custom string would definitely be better. Um, then, uh, also, like I said before, having an arrow that's a decent arrow with a decent straightness and weight tolerance um, is really, really good. Um, someone's asking me on Instagram if I'm sporting a stash. No, that's just, this is getting grayer. The beard is getting really gray. And the, sta- the this is all that's left that's not dark, that's not gray anymore. So yeah, I'm getting a Mike Honcho. Freaking thanks. <laughs> It actually, with the way the light looks, I kind of look like the V for Vendetta guy right now on my live feed. <laughs> um, all right, so next question here is from Luke Harmer. Um, it's asking, can you explain the difference between right, left, straight helical for fletching? Um, so yeah, when it comes to fletching, right and left helical, this kind of goes back to the days of feathers. Uh, right wing or left wing so all you have to do is you know you can take your feather and you actually lay it upside down to where the bottom part of your feather is pointing up at you and if it bends to the right it's right wing if it bends to the left it's left wing Um, that's pretty much how they're made so yeah you want to uh, you know you want to you want to have a feather that matches a helix or, you know, you want your, your feathers, um, to make sure you've got your winged feathers to match your helicals the proper way in your jigs. Otherwise they're a lot more likely to come off because their natural bends will be fighting the angles that you have within your clamp. Um, but some people shoot a left wing helical just for a little bit extra clearance going past their cable. Um, I'm personally not a left wing person. A lot of people years ago shot left wing um, or left helical and left wing stuff. They just got in the habit of doing it for a couple different reasons. One, um, back in the day, feathers were actually cheaper in left wing because they were always the ones that were um, left over. You could always find them. Certain styles would be out, like you'd have one bag that would be... um, out of stock for a while but you could always get them in left and then the other thing is um the other thing is um the bits and burger jigs sometimes those would be out of stock too and you know if they were out of stock you were screwed so some people just switched to the left wing they were able to get a little bit cheaper feathers they were always in stock and they just went with it um you know a reverse spin on an arrow can unscrew a broadhead or a field point if it's not secured in there. So um, I kind of stay, I just, I actually bounce back and forth between um, a couple different jigs I have. Um, I've got jigs that are set up, like for example, my outdoor arrows, That since they're so small and I shoot small diameter arrows, um, I actually have um, an outdoor um, jig that's a straight clamp, but it's just slightly offset. Um, whereas like my hunting arrows or here, I'll show you. So one of the arrows that I showed you guys earlier, um, for those watching, 
um, in relation to the, I showed you the ACC with the knock that fits right in the shaft. So with this arrow, you can see that I'm actually, it's a four fletch arrow. And because it was a four fletch, I actually fletched on just a slight offset, not so much a helical. Whereas on my three fletch arrows, I actually fletch my three fletch arrows with a true helical. So you can see that there's actually um, a full helical right wing helical on there. So I like um, right wing or a slight offset. When it comes to fletching, I've got a really cool product coming. Um, I'm kind of saving it, by the way. Um, it's I've got it right here in front of me, but I'm not going to show you guys. Um, I've got a really cool thing when it comes to fletching. I've got some cool stuff coming, but I'm wanting to, to hold it until the, the new uh, site launches. Uh, okay, so, yeah, we got a question here from Jason Schwartz, 24. Strutter's decoy versus semi-strut. Um, man, it's a toss up with my Dave Smith. If you put the fan in the strutter, that thing is deadly. I went through two fans this year because they got absolutely battered. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I don't know about the half strut. I'm either, um, balled up Jake or full strut Tom. Those are my two choices. Um, Let's see. Uh, next question here is uh, Aussie Fallow. Um, Good day, mate. After hunting a few days in the rain and mud, my knock to it sounds a bit crunchy. Um, what should I do for lube? I absolutely love the release. So yeah, anytime you have any type of a product that has stainless steel parts, um, if they get wet, then that can happen. So um, there's a couple things. One, when um, when I used to, you can take your release and you can actually, if you're hunting and you know that you go out and you get everything like really saturated, um, you know, if you ever buy a camera or something, they have those little um, moisture packets. I forget what they call them. But I've got some really big ones that have came with different things that I've bought. And I always keep those in my camera bags. Um, I've got several of them in there. And then also I always have in my um, traveling bow case, I've actually got um, one of those little bags that has the small little beads for drying out your cell phone. If you ever drop your cell phone in water, you know, they have those little bags that you can buy on Amazon to where you can put your phone in there and leave it overnight and it'll suck the moisture out of your iPhone so you're not screwing yourself. Uh, get in the habit of just taking your release and just setting that on top of those beads in there. Or you can set it on top of rice, uh, zip it up, and just, you know, you don't want rice to get it inside of anything. So that's why I'm saying set it on top. But uh, let that moisture get drawn out of your release. It'll help. Um, then the other thing too is... Um, as that spring starts to kind of get a little rusty and if it rubs on the side of the casing, it may start to like, you can hear it when it cocks, kind of squeak a little bit. Um, I use this. I've had it for a while. It's dead downwind, um, made this odorless oil. I don't know if they still do, but REM oil works just as good. But this is an odorless oil that kind of just has a little squeeze bottle. 
And it doesn't take much, like a drop will do it, but just put one small little drop on the side, you know, right kind of on the side of your cocking lever where it goes, you know, where you can get that oil to kind of go down in there a little bit to that spring and you won't have any noise at all when you cock it. But if you do hunt in the rain and stuff like that, um, you know, as a precaution, uh, don't be afraid to, to take your, you know, take certain products that you have for sure. Your releases are one of them. If they get super, super saturated, um, just go ahead and invest in one of those little guys. Um, you can, you can get them off Amazon, just keep them in your traveling bow case and, um, you'll, you'll be good to go. Um, I'm just looking it up here. Yeah. If you go to Amazon, um, let's see. They're kind of like little rescue pouches is what they call them. Like, um, I forget what they, I don't see the exact one that I had here, but yeah. Um, that's really all you need. I'm trying to see if I can find it to direct you people. I know they had them at uh, Walmart too, but more or less it was this little baggie that had these little beads in there. Um, I've got I've got it in the other room, but I won't be able to go get it. But uh, yeah, so gave you guys a extended podcast today. So appreciate that. Um, for those of you watching, you actually got to see the whole thing live. If you weren't watching, then you'll get to see it once I come back home and publish it. Um, well, I guess I'll probably just put it out there right now for everybody. So someone's got something to do at work today. Um, but I got to get going, starting to crack daylight out. Um, and I've got to get to the farm and get some, some poisonous fertilizer in the ground so I can grow all of our corn. So thanks, everybody. Appreciate it. And uh, my apologies again about the website. Forgive me. I'm uh I'm being being too picky about this thing but I want it to be good. So, thanks everybody, appreciate it and knock on. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com